Conversion Therapy Practices Prohibition Legislation Bill Submission by the Free Speech Union Introduction The Free Speech Union is submitting on the Conversion Practices Prohibition Legislation Bill due to the limits it places on the freedom of expression. This submission calls for greater safeguards for the freedoms of expression and speech, which should be maintained in all instances of non-coercive, transparent, and open dialogue. In particular, the safeguards must extend towards ensuring religious freedom, a subset of free speech, is protected, and the rights of parents. This submission raises three key concerns. The inconsistency in stating an intention of the bill is to promote respectful and open discussions, yet at limiting freedom of expression. The limitations of an individual's freedom of speech and freedom to impart and receive information of any kind under Bora, preventing consent from operating as an exemption. The insufficient recognition of applied theology and the freedom of religious expression and speech, which translates into action. The wider goals of this bill aren't of concern to our organization, And should the concerns we raise in the submission be addressed, we would have no more to contribute on the matter. 1. Despite the third objective of this piece of legislation being to promote respectful and open discussions regarding sexuality and gender, Section 3b, Crown Law Advice outlines that the bill causes a significant limitation on freedom of expression and that there could be a Chilling effect on legitimate expressions of opinions. Promoting respectful and open discussions is clearly and quite obviously incongruent with significant limitations on free speech. While Crown Law goes on to argue that these limitations and the chilling effect are justified, nonetheless the current state of the legislation means it is incapable of achieving its stated purpose. According to the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, 10 studies have been conducted looking at whether gender dysphoria, having a gender identity different to one's biological sex, persists throughout childhood. On average, 80% of children change their minds and do not continue into adulthood as transgender. Some of these studies are very old, the first being published in 1968 and others in the 1980s. This was during a time when being transgender was not accepted as widely in society as it is now, so it can be argued that this may have influenced many to change their minds. But as late as 2013, research findings had not deviated far at all from previous studies. Simply put, the notion that gender identity is immutable is highly disputed. Therefore, knowingly limiting speech in defense of this claim is untenable. This bill presents an inexcusable limitation to this pursuit of truth, not only presenting gender identity as an immutable characteristic, but elevating this perspective outside of reasonable debate. At very worst, in the case of gender identity affirmation, this bill could be embedding, under threat of prison terms, a falsehood along with having devastating implications for the long-term health and well-being of the young people involved. Research could eventually conclusively affirm what the authors of the bill present. 
The Free Speech Union fully accepts that. But we are simply not there yet and should not be criminalizing opposition to gender identity affirmation, or indeed anything which cannot be proven empirically. In truth, even the criminalization of provably wrong views should be intolerable in a free society. Liberal societies don't imprison people for wrong think. The wrong is often a vital stepping stone to the right. If the pursuit of truth is to have any value in our society, we need to resist this aspect of the bill and stop pretending we know more than we do. That any individual's gender identity is immutable, let alone unchangeable, is a highly controversial claim and one that should in no way be protected by the law under threat of imprisonment due to the fact that it is disputed and suspect. The Free Speech Union does not take a stand on this issue itself, but simply insists that this issue remain open for debate. As such, we call on the committee to include in its report to the House that amendments be made to the legislation at the Committee of the Whole House to ensure no unavoidable limitations of expression are included in this bill. The current drafting advances the aims of the first stated purpose at the expense of the second, with a number of amendments to better protect and promote open conversations both intentions of the bill could be achieved. Two, secondly, the bill currently undermines an individual's freedom of speech and right to receive information. The inclusion of section 10, which states explicitly that consent is not a defense, is an unacceptable curtail of an individual's right to choose to engage in dialogue and conversation. It is therefore a further limitation on both their freedom of speech and the freedom of expression for others involved in the conversation. This weakens the legitimacy of informed consent and denies the personal autonomy of adults. This exhibits the worst kind of parliamentary paternalism. Consent has historically been a defense at common law for activities where certain psychological and physical harm may occur. Defenses at common law have survived by virtue of Section 20 of the Crimes Act 1961. The policy of this bill suggests adding conversion therapy to the list of offences that are statutorily denied the defence of consent, the majority of these being directly related to the protection of youth and policing of immoral and taboo sexual conduct. There are obvious public policy reasons for denial of activity for the protection of the vulnerable. But those who willingly engage in conversion practices as fully aware adults are not vulnerable. Those who argue that it is in the public interest to treat such adults as vulnerable seek to supplant their own opinions in law. They see any moral conviction that does not seek to affirm sexual orientation or gender identity as backwards and wrong. This includes patronizingly seeing those who seek conversion practice as confused, repressed, and backwards in their morals. While it may be hard for some to imagine, it is undeniable that there are those who, for whatever reason, seek within themselves to suppress or change their sexual orientation or gender identity. To deny them this right, and the right to access care, support, and aid in this pursuit, is equally as condemnable as providing conversion therapy to an individual who doesn't want to suppress or change their sexual orientation or gender identity. Yet because of the harsh penalty prescribed in this bill, a penalty which would see a convicted individual face a longer sentence, five years, than 95% of the inmates currently serving sentences in New Zealand, 
one can easily imagine no councillor would be willing to participate in a consenting dynamic. Therefore, the bill as it stands curtails freedom of speech on the subjects of sexuality and gender, which again is a stated intention of this bill, and also creates a dynamic where no one would be willing to offer the services, legal though they may be, due to the potential of an incredibly harsh prison sentence. It has long been recognized that the rights of minors are and should be limited by the law in order to protect their own moral and mental development and well-being. This includes the right to free expression, both in exercising this right and witnessing it from others. However, this bill is not content with protecting children. It insultingly questions the maturity and capacity of adults to exercise their own autonomy and ability to engage with speech of their own choosing. This bill is for the satisfaction of the busybodies and nosy neighbours. It seeks to empower them with tools to button and silence conversations they are not invited to. They will be able to complain to the Human Rights Commission despite not being an aggrieved party. Their pearl clutching will have a chilling effect on honest and sincere conversations. As previously stated, the immutability of gender or sexual orientation is not an accepted fact, either in culture or science. The Free Speech Union insists that the freedom of speech and expression be retained for adults who would seek to suppress or change sexual or gender expressions or impulses they resent. Consent must be included as a defense in order to preserve these freedoms. Finally, the third point the Free Speech Union would like to make in the submission, related to the second, is with regards to the religious exemption. The carve-out for religion remains problematic in that while it doesn't prevent religious leaders from relaying textual views on sexuality to congregants, they are prevented from pursuing a course of therapy with a congregant, even if an adult congregant was to make the approach, something a number of religions would consider a required action. While the Minister of Justice has attempted to include a minor exemption for religious communities, in practice, for some religions it would provide no ability to authentically and integrously apply their religious teachings. Though presented as a compromise, it is a hollow one, as religion is a practice, which ultimately means the bill is proposing the banning of certain forms of prayers and worship. This is an extraordinary overreach by the government and would amount to a serious limitation on religious expression. We also encounter in this bill an unworkable subjectivity. Harm is defined by the victim's response to therapy. How do the courts measure the harm inflicted by three prayer sessions led by an imam two years previous to a complaint being laid? This is an unfair violation of the equality of our religious communities. Clause 15 of the bill seeks to amend the Human Rights Act 1993, essentially inserting a new category of unlawful activity. The suggested section 63A outlaws performance of any conversion practice or arranging for conversion practice to be performed on someone. Those who engage in conversion practices could find themselves subject to penalties if so decided by the Human Rights Review Tribunal. Complaints under the Human Rights Act do not need to be made by the persons aggrieved by the prohibited discriminatory activity. This means that otherwise consensual conversations about dealing with sexual desires may be sufficiently caught by third parties who disapprove of the practice altogether and wish to complain. 
Pastors and religious leaders would be deterred from offering sincere help to those who seek to solve their conflicts through faith. Those with religious conviction and honest and compassionate approaches to spiritually convicted members of their community would be denied methods of remedying spiritual suffering. This further diminishes the ability for adults to consent to private practices, which they believe to be in their best interest. The bill does not define arranging for a conversion practice. Generous interpretations of this word may range from giving recommendations or referrals to someone, to merely discussing undesirable feelings and ways to combat them. Conclusion The Free Speech Union believes a number of amendments must be made to the Conversion Practices Prohibition Legislation Bill in order to ensure that it does not present unacceptable limitations on freedom of expression. The contradiction within the stated aims of the bill means greater care must be given to ensure open, non-coercive dialogue and debate will not be hindered by this legislation. The immutability of gender identity is a highly disputed notion, one which will benefit from further open debate. Further, an individual's right to engage in and with speech which would change their perceived gender identity or sexual orientation is curtailed by the fact that consent is not an exemption. This, in practice, places those who resent their sexual or gender impulses or identity in a place where they are unable to express themselves truly, with the support and counsel of others around them. Finally, the limitations on religious expression and speech are unacceptable and strike to the root of free speech for spiritual or religious teaching, which necessarily has a prescriptive and applied nature. The Free Speech Union calls on the Justice Select Committee to suggest to the House in its report that amendments be made to this bill at the Committee of the Whole House in order for the bill to better achieve its stated aims and so that it protects and supports the right to freedom of expression for all New Zealanders. We request the right to present an oral submission to the committee speaking to this written submission. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Kakiti anō.